And it's funny, like part of, part of the story that I couldn't really capture in the film was that that whole Cape Wrath, the tip of it is a, a military training range. And from time to time, they do um, essentially practice firing and stuff around there. So Murphy's Law, like I realized in the last few days leading up to me finishing, once I was pretty clear on what date that would be, that they were actually doing firing on the range all of that week. So, so like after all these challenges, you know, tick bites and blisters and stuff, I'm going to go and get blown to smithereens on the Cape firing range. That was Matt Gervin. I'm Matt Raymond. And I'm Eugene Bingham. This is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting runners. Scott Shoes and Ultra Spy Packs clad us on our feet and on our backs. Which way around? I was trying to go a bit Dr. Seuss there, but um, mm. it's just rhymes. It's just rhyming. Anyway, but like we are supported by Scott Shoes and we are supported by Ultraspire. They have been our uh, ride or die for a while. And if you want to go check out the wonderful things that they have for offer, you can go to ultraspire.co.nz or scottrunning.nz and check out the amazing things that they have for you. Mm. And it's just as simple as that. All right. I've got a challenge for you, okay, Matt. Go. It's called the Wild Things Challenges. So the trial directory, mm. alongside the trial directory, they have these challenges. And there's one for Auckland. Is o- there? The Autumn Auckland Trails series sponsored by Shoe Science. Huh. And so you sign up, you join up, and you have a look at 20 sweet trails around Auckland and you go run them, and you earn points because some of them have got a bigger ganal factor than ah, others. Ah, some of them are more ganali than others. Some okay. of them are more ganali than others. Some are more grunty than others. Ah, right. Um, and you earn points, and you can have a look. There's a little leaderboard. Yeah, I think I'm sitting in twelfth. Nice. After a couple of runs at the weekend, it's a great way to get your mojo back after all these blinking lockdowns. And all yeah, it, it actually really yeah, is. Serious, it, speaking seriously, there's lots it. of. Lots of us have felt dent today because mm. we can't plan for anything. But if you go out on your own speed yep. and you're part of something bigger, um, yep. yeah, you go to wildthings.club, uh, yep. sign up for a VIP membership. You get, get 15 months. DCR2021 is the code. We get a little bit of a ooh-la-la and Mel's happy. Mm. And you're happy too. Sal's happy. Sal's happy. You're happy. We're happy. Yep. Everyone's happy. Use that code, DCR2021. 15 months of Wild Things VIP membership for the price of 12. Ooh la la. Gonna go something like further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go to further, faster now. Go further, faster, there in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy and so is Badger. Jules is nice and Jack is delicious. Go to further, faster now. Dirt Church Radio. Episode one three six of Dirt Church Radio. We have made it. We've made it. And We've made it. Yeah. We've got a big, we've got a chock full show. Oh my goodness. I sat down to do, like, have a look at what races there were over the weekend. And, whoo. I mean, it'd be easier to put who wasn't racing this weekend. Yeah, pretty much. But, pretty much. Uh, it, and exciting news, yes, speaking of racing. Yes. New date for Riveram. Yeah, new date for Riveram, Saturday, June 26th. It's going to be a midwinter Christmas at Christmas. No, it's actually going to be a midwinter Riveram at Christmas. Mm. 
River, at midwinter. Riverhead Rampage. Riverhead Rampage. Halata Riverhead Rampage. Mm. Postponed by COVID, you know, we get knocked down, we get up again, etc. Um, mm. Come down, go to Halatau uh, Riverhead Rampage.co.nz. Can I ask a question? Yes. Does, I can't remember, does the course go anywhere near Crybaby? Yes. In winter? Yes. That's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. No, it's going to be... Uh, Baconator? Yep. No, no. Oh, no. no. Baconator, the one next to it. Um, yeah, there's going to be some sweet running. Uh, some sweet carnage. Some sweet technical trail, which would be all the more engaging if it gets a bit wet. Ah. Who knows, we might have a dry summer, a dry winter. True. true I don't true, even true. know what hemisphere we're in, which is germane, because mm. we are speaking to Matt Gervin today. Yeah. Uh, all the way from Edinburgh, but we'll get into that. A little well, bit late. I mean, jump in. Jump he's, in. Yeah. I mean, a Kiwi, but in Scotland, has set a new, well, last year, yeah. set a new... Uh, Fastest known time hmm. on the Scottish National Trail, which is an 864-kilometre trail. It's got 20,000 metres of vertical gain. And the previous FKT was set in 2015, which was supported. It was 17 days and something, something. And Matt's... Matt knocked it out in 13 days, 19 hours and 35 minutes. He was, and he was self-supported. So, 62K a day. 62K a day. And he made a film about it, mm. uh, which isn't the uh, title of the Quentin Tarantino vampire mashup. It's for, uh, this one's called From Dawn Till Dusk. Mm. Uh, and we were lucky enough to get a sneak preview of it. It's out on YouTube now. But, man, fantastic. And this conversation with Matt is very, 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 very good. Mm. What a what a yeah. What a nice what a nice young man. Nice young man. Nice young man. But he but he's just so thoughtful, isn't he? Yeah. He's really like he I think you said to him it's not just he wouldn't put one front for the other. No. There's a lot of thought gone into it. Absolutely. Processed a lot. And and I guess that's the thing of this is now a few months down the track and he's had a chance to sort of process stuff and think about it. So it's a great combo anyway. And possibly the I mean, for those combo. Did I just say a combo? combo. It's a co pro bro. Um the the convo that we had with him it, it, it entails possibly the most uh, new, quintessentially New Zealand mm. finish to an FKT ever. Mm-hmm. Like, and and we're mm-hmm. not going to ruin it for you. No. But you watch the movie, listen to the conversation, and those from New Zealand will be like, "Yeah, that's the appropriate way to go." Those from outside New Zealand will probably be like, well, "The only thing could have made it more kind of awkward is if you had Flight of the Concords there with you playing," you know. <laughs> But yeah, Put it this way, there was no Scott Jurek with champagne no, on the... No, on the, um, no, no, spraying it over him, no, nothing. No, on the AT. Yeah. Nothing like yeah, that. But yeah. anyway, goodness me, we had our minds blown and our hearts lifted and opened uh, our conversation with Jamie Hawker. What a mm. legend. What a legend. And, and someone who obviously, I mean, we knew this, but it was kind of... Uh, spoken to us large, writ large, um, after our conversation. Someone who the trail and ultra community obviously has a lot of aroha for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, gosh. And speaking of aroha, mm. uh, there were a couple of remarkable people doing quite remarkable things this week. And Tamaki Makoto, uh, I mean, who did yeah. you catch up with? I, I went and caught up with Matt Finn, who he set out to run 654 kilometres running around the domain in Auckland. So one kilometre for every Kiwi who took their life last year. So he's an I Am Hope ambassador. He started last Tuesday and he finished on Monday. 
uh, just before midday. Incredible. And when I caught up with him on Thursday, he was about 210 kilometres down. He was starting to feel it, but he was still moving really well. And he had a few, you know, hiccups along the way, but he, he got there and he just, you know, just persevered and got through and had so many people out to support him over the past week. It really was an incredible journey by a, by a, another great young man, really. That's mm. fantastic. And yeah. down in the Waikato, yeah. Laura Peacock, she knocked off six summits um, for mental health at the weekend, and she ran the Pinnacles, Mount Te Aroha, Wairere Falls, Mount Karangahake, which is amazing, uh, Hakarimata Summit, and Mount Pawanui back-to-back to raise funds and awareness for the Mental Health Foundation, uh, which is a, a, a great NGO. Um, mm. And she knocked it off in 19 and a half hours and uh, got a whole bunch of money raised and mm. you know well done Laura yeah phenomenal absolutely phenomenal um, I, I mean so. I'd just like to raise the point as well is that you that's amazing remarkable people doing remarkable things um, if you want to engage around mental health you don't need to you don't yeah. necessarily have to run 600 and odd kilometers or climb a bunch of bunch of mountains I would ask uh, my challenge to you is is, is act with empathy um, yeah. think about uh, the language you use, think about uh, things like that affect people, like how difficult it is, maybe poverty-wise, you know, mm. think about some of the choices stresses that you make, and stresses and yep. strains, and just try to mm. be kind to people. And yep. if you're thinking about saying, you know, that whole thing on Facebook, my door's always open, rah, 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 rah. Well, if someone's got a low mood, they're not going to reach out. So I would say take it to the people. Yep. If you're worried about someone, if you're concerned, mm. Go talk to them. Well, and what I was impressed too was with both of them, with both Laura and Matt, was was that the co-papa for both of them was around getting the conversation started. Yeah. Getting, you know, talking about this stuff. And, um, you know, so important, so important. Absolutely. And that's the thing is mm. absolutely this is almost a vehicle for um, a vehicle for awareness, hey? Yeah, absolutely. And in, in no way by sort of highlighting that other thing am I decrying what they're doing. I mean, gosh, I, I, I work in mental health. I'm fully supporting anyone who mm. wants to kind of advocate for it. Mm. Um you know, and, and, and there's that thing too. I think we need to normalise mental yeah. health too. So. And we can all do our bit. Mm. Absolutely. How have you been, man? Sick. 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 Oh, fully sick, bro. Mm. Yeah, a bit sick actually. But it's been cool. You know, yeah. again, another week was like nothing really happened mm. and it was okay. Mm. Yeah, and I got a bit sick and I rested and it was good. Got That's a bunch good. of uni work done. Yeah. Just like, yeah, just like normal, normal life. Normal life, yeah. man. <laughs> normal yeah. life. Yeah. Which does, again, it, it's, it's remarkable. The yep. novelty of it quite hasn't worn off yet. Mm, mm. How about you? Yeah, well, I um, got out of town on the weekend, went down to the Wairarapa. Mighty um, Wairarapa. Yeah, Suzanne and I went down. And uh, I, I got a few runs in, which is always my favourite way to explore um, places and I, I, I got a bit lost. Well, not really, but it was just one of those moments where you're like, um, I could run back the way that I've come, right? But that's going to take me ages. I think I'll just press on. I'm pretty sure I know my way home. Um, I was on the Rapaki um, trail in the Martinborough Hills, and basically, it was one of those situations where the trail pegs just petered out. Right. <laughs> you could see them getting less and less sort of bright and then they just sort of stopped and I was in a paddock with a horse and going, hey, dude, what's what's um, what's um up? 
so yeah, that was fun. Anyway, was he, um, as, was he sort of laconic as the Cape Wrath lighthouse? Not. Yeah, he was really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He or she, I'm not sure with horses. I don't know. Uh, anyway, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, spent a bit of time at wineries and restaurants and things, and got out for those runs, which I enjoyed. And work at the moment involves dealing with some really heavy stuff, so it's yeah. really good to be able to unhitch from the mainframe for a while and just you know get out in the hills and go for a run and catch up with people and do that kind of stuff, eh? Kind of circles back to the conversation we just had. Absolutely. And, and mm. you know, if you're ever worried about a horse, you know, how they're doing, you can ask them that, that, that question. Oh, no. You say, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey. <laughs> Why the long face? I just lobbed that one up to you. Dad jokes are us. Hey, um... A shout out to a couple of youngsters who raced over the weekend with some pretty impressive performances. Absolutely. Andrew Thompson, who has uh, been on the show before, uh, and he, you know, put this legendary post, uh, run at the Potador Traverse, um, which is a race that we'll come to. And he didn't just post about his run. He was super impressed with a 14-year-old, Max Doherty, who basically ran with him stride for stride most of the race. And Andrew said he found himself redlining to keep up with Max, and it was only the last climb where Andrew's, and he, this is his words, not ours, old man legs, uh, let him get away from Max a little bit. And he finished fifth with Max just a minute back in sixth. That's awesome. That's so awesome. And then there was Spike Havice. Uh, you might recognise the surname. He ran at the exterior short course event with his mum, Fiona, and they posted a video of the two of them finishing, and they were flying, and Spike was flying. He was second overall in the race. Um, That's super impressive. In the, yeah, super impressive. Um, so, yeah, keep doing it, young folk. Yeah, absolutely. So mm. first up, Three Peaks. I mean... The Three Peaks in Dunedin, it's iconic. It's been around since 1984, climbing Flagstaff, 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 Swampy Summit and Mount Cargill. But the last two years, they've added an additional loop, making it Three Peaks plus one. Can anyone explain to me how a summit could be swampy? Please. Right in Not right now. to the Otago Daily Times with your answer. <laughs> Ask Matt. It's my new column. But anyway, so uh, female first across the line uh, was Rose Pearson in 6.40.13. Uh, second was Brooke Thomas in 6.44.39, who ran, I think, most of that with a broken foot. Oh. It would appear nurses make the worst patients. Mm. Uh, and third uh, was Jessica Campbell in 6.48.30. Yeah, Brooks training a bit extreme this year, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, absolutely. Running, running Tiaroa, but uh, in record time. But you know, you do what you got to do to be able to line up at the three picks plus one. Um, and for the men, Chris Bisley, local legend, five twenty-seven. Yeah, five to relapse. Yeah, wow. 527.11, uh, Tom Spencer, 553.33, and Ben Cullen, um, 604.13. Um, yeah, so second year in a row for Chris to take out that uh, three peaks plus one. Um, yeah, and other races, we've taken this from the ODT, Matt's favourite newspaper, in the traditional 26-kilometre race. Now it's the 38th year. Less than five minutes separated the top three men. Mm. Jonah Smith claimed victory in 2.10.37. He was four minutes ahead of second-placed Alex Gorey, and Nathan Shanks was just 22 seconds back behind Alex. Nancy Shang took a convincing woman win in the women's race. Her time of two hours, 33 minutes and six seconds was 12 minutes ahead of Margie Campbell, who finished second ahead of Christy Eels. In the 11-kilometre race, uh, Tig Ryan Charlton took the men's title in one hour, six minutes and 43 seconds, three minutes ahead of Simon Leaning. Lydia Patillo came the first was the first woman home in 
the 11K race in one hour, 18 minutes and 38 seconds, well clear of Becky Lawrence in second. Good stuff. Right, Porirua, Grand Traverse, that race we mentioned before. So it's a mountain run. There was a whole bunch of different uh, multi-sport events, but the mountain run was one part of it. So heap of um, native bush, open farmland and beaches that looked absolutely incredible. Um, so Courtney Fitzgibbon uh, won in 143.36, Jackie Holly second in 144.06 and Shannon Edgar in 144.40. What a tight race that mm, was. That is a tight race. In, mm. the, in the men's race it was Malcolm Hodge in 120.11 which is terrifyingly fast. Mm. Martin McCruden in uh, 121.36 and Tim Hodge in third place in 125.20. So Rotorua as well had the off-road half marathon. Yeah, Rotorua Mm. off-road half marathon. I've done that race before and it is sweet. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. It is in Rotorua. Thank you. I can't remember. Right. So is it like... Maybe I haven't done the... it goes in and out. Maybe I haven't done the off-road half marathon, but I've done a half marathon in Rotorua that goes off-road. It's probably it. Yeah. Anyway. Let's go with that. Sucre. Sucre. Yeah. <laughs> Rotorua, 143.13. Kovo McDonald uh, of Topiri in 137.49. And Jessica uh, Mazaitis of Rotorua in 149.57. And then Michael Voss. Um, yep. Was this his first time out since Tarawera, maybe? Maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, having a day off. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> 118.10. <laughs> Casey Thorby, uh, 119.49. And Liam Dooley, 122.11. Fantastic. And the 10K, Jessica Lamb was first off in 153. Thir- uh, no. 51.13. Steph Nielsen, uh, 54.10. And Noreen Crombie, 54. 36 for third place. And in the men's, Alan Ferguson, 43-29, brought it home first. Owen Owen, 43-53, and Jamie Hall, 44-26. And the 5K was Jasmine Davies of Hamilton, 26 minutes and 38 seconds, and Liam Davis, also of Hamilton, 23 minutes and 11 seconds. God, what else was going on? Oh, man, well, down in Wellington, they yeah. had the uh, West Wind event. Yes. Uh, at for the exterior series up amongst the wind turbines which is amazing um, and you're not allowed up there all the time so it's cool that they were able to get up there and, and race up there mm. Lucy Lawler took out the long course 205.12 Deborah Platz Fowler second in 206.54 and Emily Osborne 210.14 for third Walter Somerville came across in 133.11 to take out the men's race in 143.56 was Quinton uh, Mulman and back in third place was one for, uh, with one forty seven twenty eight was Callum Dixon. In the meeting course, uh, Tara Brianne Loder was first in one sixteen fifty. Kylie Fayen one eighteen fifty seven and Marjolaine Verrett in one twenty thirteen. One hour and two, two seconds. Stephen Greenside, amazing. One o two thirty was Miroslav Hodak. And 105.52, David Burke in third place. Yeah. And then there was that short course where Fiona Hayweiss won in 38.51, Tony Jack second in 39.03, and Becky Spencer third in 42.00. In the uh, main bringing up the the men's race, uh, Jackson Oldridge was 38.34. Spike Hayweiss, who is he like eight years old? I think he's he's around, he's still in single digits. Yeah. 38.50, and 40 minutes flat was James has it. So, yeah, what oh. a thrilling finish in that race and just 16 seconds separating Jackson from Spike and Fiona. And it was so good to see Fiona getting some speed just a week after that six hour oh. run last week, not to mention Tarawera Ultra. 
100 miler, what, sort of five, six weeks ago? And relapse. And she's got, she's and doing she's relapse, coming in for relapse. When is relapse? It's the 16th of April. Right. It's the weekend. Oof. It's the weekend, so it yeah. starts on the Friday. So you know when it starts, you don't know when it's going to finish. You don't know when it finishes. Mm. I've got to take the camper van back after a certain amount of time, so it might be a bit of, <laughs> yep. Just mulch yourselves. Hey, a bit of a Northburn catch-up from our wrap from last week. Of course, it was the fourth in the Southern Seasons Miler Challenge events because of the delay last ah. year. Thanks, COVID. If you don't know what that is, it's 400-mile races, and the challenge is to complete them all in a year. Three women had done three of the events, Old Forest, Crazy Case, and Naseby, but because of COVID, hadn't been able to run the fourth Northburn. But the challenge organisers, nice people, they mm. said, hey, you know, that's all right. If you come and do it this year, we'll con- we'll consider it done. And all three of them did. Oh, amazing. So congratulations to Lynn Bosworth, who finished Northbourne in 47 hours and 24 minutes, making sure she got all, she squoze all of her entry fee out mm. before the 48-hour cutoff. She made Terry Davis wait. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jessica Fabian, who did 33 hours, 26 at Northbourne. And, by the way, she did the 200-miler at Naseby. Mm. Ooh, and Tanya Bottomley, friend of the show, who finished Northburn in 33 hours, 57 minutes. And if you want to hear our chat with Tanya, it was episode 71. Of course, she was that what she was going to do. Yeah. She was off to Northburn and mm. then mm. indoors. She was doing the, doing the old uh, challenge. Doing the challenge. So you can hear all about the challenge. We talk about it in that chat and lots more. So really, I really enjoyed that chat. So, hey, just quickly, another previous guest, Carl Reed. The Flying Mullet. He went back to Ironman at the weekend, um, just mm. five weeks or whatever it is after that draining effort at Tarawera. And he finished second in his age group, top 20, and dipped under nine hours 30. Not bad for someone who has hardly done any swimming lately. Oh, congrats, congrats Carl. I mean, his, mm. his marathon time is like three hours. Ten. And three, ten or three oh eight. Well, yeah, sorry. Beto- yeah. Between that, anyway, mm. amazing. Mm. Carl's on episode 96 if you want to check that out. Yeah. Oof, is that done? Is that all we're the racing? Done. I think we're done. Man, all right. Greatest, Greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever. The part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us about your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or mountain summit. The time you set the FKT on the Scottish National Trail might just be a runner in the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason, which is actually quite ironic considering our guest's greatest run ever. But send it into us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Ooh, this one's from across the ditch. Hmm. Dan Ross. Hi, Matt and Eugene. My greatest run ever was yesterday. Well, it wasn't. At, at, at time of recording. The six-foot <laughs> track marathon from near Katoomba to Jenilin Caves. The race features stairs, single trails, a river crossing up to the armpits. Oof. Oof. And some, depending on how tall you are, though. True. Yeah. Not, not, and some so, brutal, not so deep for me. And some brutal hills, some massively brutal hills. It's described as Australia's toughest marathon, and it sure is. From the qualifying time needed to get a ballot spot to then getting drawn from the ballot, then running the race, not to mention last year's cancellation due to bushfire, then floods destroying the road into the finish line. So nice not to mention COVID. My plan was to keep moving one step forward, march the hills, run the downhills and flats as best I could. Two hours in, we hit the first of the two mega epic four kilometre plus climbs. I was feeling it pretty early. A nice warm, humid day had greeted us. Us, which is not my preferred conditions. I kept marching and marching and being overtaken by many wonderful runners. After a short downhill, we hit the next big climb. By the time I hit the magical 
pulviometer, I was spent. I would have loved to have sat down and called it a day. But this is this event is one of my unicorn events. When I started running three years ago, a glass of Coke and an icy cold water dunked on... Un- right, we'll start that again. But this event is one of my unicorn events when I started running three years ago. Full stop. A glass of Coke and an icy cold water dunked on my head and I continued on my merry way. More hills up and down, more flats, and a very sharp downhill section where you can only see the finish and hear the atmosphere, which is second Oof. to none. Yeah. yeah. Man. Like, that's the best and the worst. Like at Kepler. Mm. You can hear the, mm. I finished in 7 hours 15 for my 44 kilometers, and I could not have been happier. I got stuck to my plan, and I never gave up when I just wanted to walk those flats. I've never been happier in a run, and frankly, the time could have been anything. It didn't matter. It was the run, the experience, and what I learned about myself, which was more important. Topping it all off, my running gang was at the finish. Whether competing or volunteering, I got to see all their wonderful faces. Such a magical day. This, combined with being able to stick to my plan on a brutal course, makes this my greatest run ever. And he goes on to say, Dan goes on to say, look, I hope to make it across Tarawera in 2022. I mean, yeah, it's going to be great to see all yeah. our kissing cousins from across the ditch. Mm. Thanks, Dan. Cheers, Dan. That was amazing. That was awesome. Does your running gang have gang signs? Do we? Uh, Do we have a running gang sign? It would make us even whiter. True. Mm. Yeah, I'll just stop right there. Uh, No, that was awesome, Dan. And uh, yeah, that sounds brutal, that run. Yeah, it really does. eh? Mm. Right, the rest of you, send them in because we love them. We love love them. them. Right. This is a beautiful conversation with Matt Gervin, who kind of contacted us out of the blue, uh, you know, six months ago now. talking about this thing that he was going to do on this on this trail in Scotland we wanted to have him on the show ages ago and then things have conspired and things have conspired and then this movie popped up in our inbox have a crack at this and, and we just had to get him on I mean this is a young man who who loves trail running uh, loves getting out in nature and from this conversation we learned that often the amazing things about efforts like you know fastest known times isn't so much about the attempt itself but everything sort of adjacent to it. So please enjoy this conversation with the uh, very nice young man that is Matt Gervin. Radio. All right, kia ora. We have crossed hemispheres. We are speaking to Matt Gervin all the way from Edinburgh. Kia ora, Matt. How are you going? Kia ora, boys. Morning. Yeah, I'm pretty well, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, well, g- good evening for us. We're good. Um, we've just been... Um, Slack-jawed at the uh, amazing uh, thing that you did a couple of months back, right? You, you, you set the FKT on the Scottish National Trail and um, made a really amazing movie about it. How does that feel? Yeah, it's, it's been pretty crazy. Honestly, looking back, it's sort of hard to, hard to believe that it really worked out because Exactly a year ago when I was scheming and having wild ideas about all this, I honestly didn't think it was even possible for me. So to actually look back now and have done the trip and have sort of a tangible memory of it that I can share with people is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, It's like you get a double dip of it. You get you got to celebrate the FKT and now a few months later you get the to live it all over again. Is that, is that what it feels like? A little bit, yeah. It definitely brings back a lot of memories and I think it really – uh, it is nice to share something and have, you know, be able to share a deeper impression of what the trip was actually like. Because, you know, for example, my parents, I was chatting with, messaging throughout the trip, sending photos, telling stories afterwards. So they were intimately involved in the whole thing. But then you share 
a few clips of what it was actually like and the look on my face when it's cold and raining and tough and they're like oh okay actually that was a whole different level to what we thought at the time mm. yeah there, i mean not not to dive too quickly into it but there, there were some moments of some real um you captured some real distress out on the trail i mean it, it looked it looked really really difficult yeah it, it was tough um you know, it was 14 days, almost entirely solo, walking slash running, you know, 14, 15, up to 19 hours a day. Um, there weren't, it wasn't the sheer intensity of, you know, digging deep, deep into that pain cave and really wanting to quit. It was more just like the cumulative deep, deep fatigue over two weeks that you're just digging into nothing, basically. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, and for those who, I mean, I... I, I apologise to our um, Scottish contingent. I'd, I'd never heard of the National Trail of Scotland. Can you tell us what it is? Yeah, and I mean, firstly, I mean, a lot of our Dorsey people here probably haven't heard of it either. So in a nutshell, it's an 864-kilometre hiking trail that runs from the border at the south of Scotland all the way up, zigzags through some of the amazing parts of the Highlands, connecting a lot of fairly famous uh, other Scottish trails together and ends at a point called Cape Wrath in the far northwest. So it is relatively new and relatively low key. Like I think it came into being in 2012 and it's kind of unofficial and hasn't quite gained that huge, you know, sort of global popularity of like the PCT in the States or Te Araroa back home. Um, but, yeah, I sort of stumbled across it online and thought, hey, that seems like a pretty cool thing to do. Why not? <laughs> and, I mean, what had brought you to Edinburgh? Kind of the classic Kiwi overseas experience thing, wanting to spend a few years living and working in Europe, but London didn't hold all that much appeal for me personally. I um, was it 2019, I did a whole lot of hiking and travelling all around Europe. Um, sort of trying to figure out what to do with my next step and spend a bit of time in Scotland and Edinburgh. Really liked the city. Lots of lots of hills, lots of trails and things. And, um, yeah, luckily I was able to make that happen. Fantastic. And, and, and I mean, you, you, you talk about being back home. I mean, where is home for you uh, in Aotearoa? New Plymouth, Taranaki on the West Coast. So grew up basically sandwiched between uh, the sea and a beautiful mountain and Honestly, didn't really fully appreciate that until my later teenage years, just before I left to study in Christchurch. <laughs> yeah, yes. And, and we did. I mean, on that, I mean, did you when you were in Christchurch or when you were in New Plymouth? I mean, were you a runner? Is that something you were you were engaged in, either running or hiking? It's been it's been sort of a long, slow, slippery slope. Maybe the last ten years since sort of leaving home. Um, so, I mean, yeah, we, my family isn't hugely outdoorsy. I think people might meet me and then meet my parents and then sort of be like, oh, they're, they're kind of quite, quite normal, quite, you know, hmm. trendy, respectable people. Um, but it was kind of, yeah, I guess my later teenage years, a few of my friends were quite into tramping, started doing a few weekend trips and that sort of thing. What probably really sparked it off, my younger brother, Josh, who's an absolute weapon, he, he got into cross-country running in high school. So it was probably really only when I was 17 or 18, I was kind of getting exposed to it a bit more. 
getting a little bit interested in then the university years in Christchurch and just having the access to the Southern Alps and the Port Hills and things, getting a little bit more into a bit of trail running, you know, ran a couple of marathons, but it's really just the last yeah, four or five years that have gone a lot deeper down that kind of trail and long distance route, as it were. It's a yeah, it's a, it's it's catchy. It's a buggy catch, that wasn't it? It's hard to hard to shake once you've got it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think um, I think just yeah, the last year and a half, and you know, setting up in a new city and a new country, and particularly the last year, almost most of that in, in the UK has been in some form of lockdown or some mm. form of COVID mm. restrictions. So. When a lot of other things have been taken off the cards, mm. it's off the table. It's um, it's really been running that I've kind of resorted to as the one thing that hasn't really been affected. Mm. Right, and that's I mean that's just I mean going back before COVID in the last four years, and there's some magnificent running where you are and 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 close by in Europe too. Have you got to to have any great adventures? Um, I mean. Good and bad timing in some ways. So I left um, left Aotearoa in the middle of 2018, and I spent the best part of a year and a half sort of traveling all over the, the States. I did a, a bit of a stint at kind of a hobby school in Denmark and then spent the first oh, sort of four or five months of 2019 solo hiking or tramping for the Kiwis all around uh, Ireland, Scotland, Spain, France, and then finished with a big mountain trip in Slovenia. So I was really lucky to have had these these massive trips um, just before the proverbial really hit the fan, you know, mm, yeah. because most of my time in, in Edinburgh, I've been here for just over a year and a half. Um, more than a year of that has been in lockdown or some form of restriction. So yeah. no, I haven't really had the chance to like live and breathe and work and travel Europe. But I'm glad that I got some really big trips out of the way before kind of setting up my life here. Yeah. What does that restriction look like? I mean, it's hard. We can only kind of gauge where we are, you know, to kind of take mm-hmm. and take on board what that looks like on sort of a day to day. I mean, how do you prepare mm-hmm. to, I guess, run the Scottish Trail um, when you're in a lockdown? Were you able to do any training at all? Yes. Yeah, so, so fortunately. Last summer was relatively okay. Um, we'd sort of eased on restrictions enough that we could do some domestic travel and things um, and some socialising, so it was sort of feeling quite good. But then the the second wave really hit the UK very hard. Mm. So we're, we're currently back in or sort of towards the end of what we call lockdown, which is not, not hugely strict, but it's, you know, it's work from home if you can, socialising with, with only a total of four people from, you know, one other household. Um, avoid it. you know, most shops are closed except supermarkets. I've been I've been working from home for an entire year now. I'm I'm an engineer and normally you would be spending most of my time in the office and doing site visits and that kind of thing. But it's been an entire year of, of working at my laptop in my room. Um, I have team calls with my my team and my manager every single day, but I haven't seen half of those people in an entire year. Wow. So it's kind of, um, it's, it's hard to explain how, like the cumulative toll that does take, but mm. it is also kind of our normal right now. 
Yeah. Um, I guess just to just to touch on yeah the training and things I sort of mentioned. Uh, in some ways, running was the only thing that was still available and wasn't affected. There was there was a month or two early last year where we were only supposed to do one hour of exercise per day, so you'd sort of squeeze whatever you could into that. But generally, it's been kind of unlimited as long as you're sensible, you're staying within your city zone, and you're not meeting up with uh, other or too many other people. So. Yeah, the early early stages of last year, I was doing a lot of running, sort of experimenting, scheming and planning this trip, trying to figure out whether it was actually possible or not, and basically waiting for things to ease up enough that I had the chance to get out and do it. So it took from conceiving the idea in around March till um, September when I really actually had the chance and the time to get out and give it a crack. So you, you basically, you waited until... They said, yeah, you can recreate sort of non-locally. Well, you were, you were traversing most of Scotland. <laughs> it's just fairly non-local. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, were you challenged at all? Did it, was anyone like, what are you up to? No, I, I, think, I think generally things were pretty good at that time. We had a, we had a fairly okay summer. My, my timing at the other end was actually almost perfect because by the time I was catching a bus and a train back from the end of the trail – things were already starting to kick off again in terms of the second wave. So it was only uh, maybe a week or two after I got back that we started to plunge back into some form of restrictions and then deeper, deeper back into that hole. Mm. Who was the – wasn't there a a, – who was the runner? There was a British runner who restrictions were in place and you weren't allowed to stay anywhere overnight and she went out and ran – like yeah, that, through oh, the night. What's her name? Who was that? And she, 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 it was like a loophole, but she got pulled over by a local cop who happened to be a a, a, a runner as well. Damien Hall was talking about it. it was a woman trying to set an FKT. Yeah, on, it was sort of like a Bob Graham plus something. Something. Or, oh, yeah, maybe was, Sabrina Virgie on the, the one. Yeah, that's the Wayne it. Yeah, she's a machine. I hadn't heard that particular story, but yeah, yeah well, it was okay. like I'm not breaching the. She tried to bluff her way through, <laughs> and he's like, "Look, I'm on all the Facebook pages. I know what you're doing. <laughs> I'd do the same thing, but look at this badge. Go in home. Line, get in." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. up, up for 60 hours and I guess it's that thing isn't it it was like that Iron Man who went out for one ride and what did he do like a 400 kilometre ride or something <laughs> yeah, maybe stretching things he was pilloried yeah. for that as well yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so I mean the whole the whole nature of you know you didn't set out to run every step of the trail. In fact, you were fast packing which is something that we've we've heard a lot about which Looking at the trail, uh, looking at the movie, sorry, it seems as it, as it's sort of a mix of either sort of run walking or walk running. I mean, for those who mm-hmm, haven't heard mm-hmm. the term before, I mean, how does one fast pack? It's it's funny. I was actually kind of thinking this to myself in a run the other day. Um, in some ways, it's like, you, you know how ultra running in reality is probably at least one third walking, right, if you're doing like mm. a, a really long distance, whereas fast packing is probably more like at least two thirds walking. Right, um, right. Yeah, fast packing, it's, it's kind of really a crossover between, you know, ultra lightweight tramping slash hiking and ultra running. So it's really just the, the concept of, of traveling fast and light over what might normally be kind of hiking trails and things. Um, so you start to get kind of, yeah, rather than wearing tramping boots, you're probably wearing lighter weight trail shoes. Um, you've got these crazy high-tech backpacks and things this day 
these days that kind of crossover more with a running vest style with a bit of weight on your front. And you're basically just cutting out as much um, frill and luxury probably as you can. So, hmm. for example, on my trip, I, I chose not to take a, a cooker um, because I had pretty good access to food in towns along the way and would just eat, you know, cold, dry food at other times. Um, and yeah, essentially cutting down as much as you can on spare changes of clothes and that sort of thing while keeping it safe in terms of having all the emergency kind of gear that you need. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, you, you were still rolling with about nine kilos of gear, which isn't inconsiderable. If, and and I, on, on, the, uh, on the film, I mean, what did you refer to it as? Squat jogging. You were sort of yeah, <laughs> squat, jog. squat jog, which is when you said you had to kind of hunker down and get quite a low center of gravity. I mean, you were still, he was still eating up the miles because there's lots of like quite flat sections. I mean, what, what were you fueling with then? I saw you murder a bag of Doritos uh, in the film, but what was your favorite sort of, <laughs> what was your favorite food to eat on the trail? It was, it was very much a trail of two halves. So the, the first half from, from the borders up to sort of the lower highlands, uh, I, I was passing through probably two or three or more villages or towns every day. So I was carrying like a few hours of snacks at a time, um, snacking on, you know, nuts and scroggin and muesli bars and things. And then I'd pass through a town and just gorge myself at a at a bakery or, you know, takeaways or something like that. So I was having, it's essentially just whatever your body's craving and um, as many calories as you can possibly get down. I think... On one of the first few evenings, I, I passed through a town and I was messaging my girlfriend and, and she, she was like, oh, I saw you, you know, you passed through Melrose. What, what did you have for dinner? And I was like, I, I went to the supermarket and I had an entire family-sized quiche and a five-pack of custard donuts. <laughs> <laughs> but oh then the second half, you get, you get further up north. The Cape Wrath Trail is incredibly remote. You're passing through a village every couple of days and those villages have you know one pub if you're lucky it's probably closed or you know private dining only and a very small grocery store so that was much more down to the wire just eating as many it's basically an equation of calories per gram like everything you don't want to teach your kids you're going into the grocery store and grabbing yeah like doritos oreos peanuts um lollies digestive biscuits, that kind of stuff, just eking out eking out the calories over the miles until I could get to the next town or pub or something. And there were two stretches of two or three days each in that latter half where I was getting really quite desperately low, um, most probably only eating about 3,000 calories per day, which you know sounds a lot for the, you know, the average person might be eating 2,000, but probably burning eight to ten thousand so digging into a pretty massive deficit there um essentially hoping on banking on pubs to to feed me along the way but i couldn't quite work out some of the timings and yeah maybe winged things a little bit too much on the logistics there on those days could you notice the effect like was that a physical feeling of i'm underfueled yeah, I mean, it was kind of that that general exercise hunger. Like you, you know, you know you're hungry and you want to eat more. Um, and towards the end of those stretches, having to quite strictly kind of ration things out, which is the last thing you want when you're mm. 
you know, hauling 14, 15 hour days and stressing over times and schedules and just trying to get it done. It wasn't enough enough to like really deeply dig into sort of a longer term deficit. So by the time I had a big meal afterwards, the body responds really quickly. Mm. But it's amazing after a few days on the trail, people talk about, you know, through hiking the PCT and things and you just kind of get that trail stomach. Like you just kick it into gear and it can just churn through food like it's coal into a furnace sort of thing. So Mm. it was pretty hard to peel that back to stricter rations, but luckily squeaked my way through it. How much uh, iron brew and deep fried Mars bars did you have? That's a that's a racial Actually, stereotype. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a that's local a delicacy question. question. They they definitely are. I did I don't think I had any of either. I'm sure I probably had some some veggie haggis along the way somewhere. But that's I'm gonna, maybe the closest I got. I'm going to call into question the whole FKT and that's and that yeah. uh, on that on the evidence of that. Then I'm sorry. <laughs> was, was not doing it in terms of the, the local style. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Is it an FKT of Scotland? Well, if one you surprise you didn't mention like Bucks Fast. Or <laughs> <laughs> the pseudoephedrine and the wand, stuff. but the pseudoephedrine would have kept you up, right? So, that's the that's the bonus. <laughs> of bonus anyway, was it on that sort of nutrition? I mean, like part of me goes, "Oh, that sounds really nice," but you know, when you have like, if you are perhaps less than disciplined at some point, and you you have some quite calorie dense, perhaps not the most nutritionally virtuous foods. Did you feel like, you know, you're kind of gagging back a packet of Haribos and family-sized Oreos and whatever? Did you feel okay or was the body starting to just go like, can you give me some broccoli, please? <laughs> um, yes and no. And interestingly, this is this is something I've discussed with family and friends a bit because there were a couple more shots that I actually ended up taking out of the film for simplicity where I was kind of talking through some of my food in the later stages of the hike where it was Doritos and Oreos and things. And um, and it, it kind of, if you're not really, if, if your mindset's not in that kind of long distance, fast packing, ultralight thing, it doesn't make any sense because you, you see that and you go, that's terrible food to be running long distances on, um, exerting yourself. But no, like, I, I, that was totally fine for me. It was basically that trail food I was carrying for maybe a day or two at a time was just calories it was just coal into the furnace um I, I i don't really struggle with stomach issues or anything like that and particularly you know it's not like it was super high intensity running it was yeah. just slow steady stuff over time and then at least every day or two i would be getting into a town and having essentially whatever I f- else i felt my body needed so often it was going to the supermarket just buying two of every fruit or you know a bunch yeah. of vegetables or just a good sandwich or something so i mean yeah it's, it's not like there was ever any real risk of getting scurvy or anything like that. <laughs> it, was more just, um, it was more just keeping moving <laughs> this is a gamekeeper this is shaggy tramp with scurvy on the side of the trail what's going on i mean that and i guess that's the challenges of running this thing self-supported there's a part in the movie where you were you know it's quite early into the run and you were you were like six, seven k from your home, sleeping mm. in a small tent at the back of a scout hole in the pouring rain. I mean, did you even consider mm-hmm. doing a support of the tent? Yes and no. So, I, so I guess to maybe to explain it for the listeners, um, this whole FKT fastest known time movement, there are kind of three main categories of the style that you can do a trail in to 
make sure you're comparing apples with apples. So the the simplest form is what you'd say is unsupported, which is literally carrying all of your food, all of your equipment, having no one else interact with or help you, and only collecting fresh natural water along the day, on, along the way. So that might only be up to a few days that you can really go fast carrying that much food. The other extreme, obviously supported, is where you can have essentially whatever you want, as many people meeting you along the way, you know, maybe with a camper van so that you can sleep in, bringing you food, possibly even carrying some of your gear. The in-between option is self-supported, which is more just that traditional going for a long hike. You can stay at a at a town, at a campsite or a hotel if you need along the way. You can buy food from supermarkets. But you can't have any pre-arranged help or, or support from people coming out to help you. So interestingly, the kind of, well, not really a loophole, but the intricacies of those rules mean that I could stay in campsites or hotels and buy stuff at supermarkets, but yeah, I couldn't go and sleep in my own home. And hmm. it seemed, it, it was tough to make that decision to like actually yeah, do I want to stick to these quite arbitrary rules for just a holiday or a trip that I actually want to enjoy in camp in the middle of nowhere when I could go home and have a nice warm bed? But ultimately I decided that I was kind of 99% traveling in that self-supported ethos anyway that it wasn't that much more of a stretch and actually saved me a few miles not having to run off the course to go home anyway. So kind of worked out in the end. <laughs> And I mean, you, you were by yourself and you produced a film of the attempt, uh, which is, is fantastic. Dusk, dusk to Dawn and will, or is it Dawn to Dusk? Dusk to Dawn's the Quentin dawn, Tarantino. Dawn to Dusk, Dawn to I'm Dusk. I'm so sorry. Yeah, that's, that's the one. Dusk to Dawn's the Quentin Tarantino vampire movie. Yep. <laughs> which you weren't in, I'm guessing. <laughs> no and vampires were harmed in the making of Dawn to Dawn to Dusk. No, and Dawn to Dusk is the Scottish... National tra Trail Vampire movie that you're in. No, uh, <laughs> that you're in. I mean, how much you you filmed that? How much footage did you shoot? Uh, versus how much got into the twenty minute film? Mm, I got a surprising amount. Um, I think I probably averaged half an hour a day. So you know, fourteen days, I got seven or eight hours of total footage, and most of that is total garbage. Um, so, so yeah, the twenty minutes to some extent is may, maybe a highlights reel, but also it's it's it was about pulling together a film and a story and a narrative that made sense. So right. there was a lot more material that I had that was kind of half formed or didn't fully explain concepts around my food or the, the fundraiser I was doing or the the friends who did actually surprise me and came out and visit me on the trail or all the messages of support I got. It's its a shame in some ways watching it because it does make it out to be a purely solo endeavor, uh, which physically it was, but I did have a lot of support in behind the scenes. So, yeah, I, the, the, the tricky thing on a fast, ambitious trip like that to be filming along the way was that you you sort of film little clips here and there and you're not really capturing entire scenes mm -hmm. with a variety of styles of shot and different perspectives and, and that real narrative. So it, it was a challenge to make it not just a montage of dude walks past his camera again, 
mm. but actually having some sort of narrative through there. And I would love to have had, you know, other people with cameras and drones and different footage and maybe interviews with other people before and after. But I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you think, but I, I feel like it actually became a, a much more raw personal story because it is kind of just me and the camera. Yeah, I loved it. I honestly, I was really, uh, I was really taken by it. I thought, you know, this is, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of epic media out there, right? I mean, sort of epic, some of it's in, mm, in yeah. quotation marks and, and it was, you know, and you captured the bits, that part where you were just kind of walking along the road in the rain crying, yeah. you know, and not, you didn't sort of go into why, or well, it's sort of, I guess it's kind of tacitly acknowledged because it's really hard, you're in the middle of nowhere, you're tired. But yeah, it really, it sort of, it worked because it just followed, it just really highlighted that you were out there doing this by yourself. How, how you're in a difficult position because you're the quote-unquote star of the film, but you're also the producer. So you're having to make those decisions of uh, that a producer could make in a detached way of, gosh, he looks terrible at the moment. This will make a great shot. Um, but you're having to do that to yourself. How, how did you manage that? How did you balance that role? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I am not the most extroverted or, or self-promoting kind of person. So I did quite struggle to, to strike that balance and, and I wanted it to be a really kind of genuine, honest account of, of the trail, but yeah, without going overboard. Mm. I think I think probably the, the most useful and interesting thing that I did during the filmmaking process, so it took me till about Christmas to actually get round to looking back into the footage and starting the editing. So it's taken me sort of the last three months of a bit of time here and there. And what I actually did during that process was was I got kind of a maybe like a 70-80% complete rough cut and shared that with my family, a couple of friends and my flatmates. And I knew that there was a lot left that I wanted to do, but I, I essentially treated it as a focus group. I mm. put it in front of them and said, you know, what do you think? Does this work? And the, f- the feedback that I got back was kind of uh, that you could that I could put in a lot more context in terms of like kilometer and day updates and, mm. you know, maybe some comments about the origins of the trail and that sort of thing to tie things together. But also that I could afford to play up some of those emotions a little bit mm. within – you know, within what felt genuine. So it was kind of maybe putting slightly more emotive music. Um, the sound effects make yep. a, a huge amount of difference. So it, hopefully it comes across as fairly subtle and almost subconscious, but just some of like the the rain and the wind and that sort of thing that I would put over top. And it, it's not to be disingenuous and like fake that there was rain. It's just that there's only so much good quality audio that a tiny little action camera can capture mm. so it was kind of just trying to like recreate those vibes mm-hmm. and um yeah and I, and I think i think in the end that came through pretty well to the point that a lot of a lot of people have said that it's been quite an emotional watch or quite mm. a quite a roller coaster of all of the emotions really which um yeah i guess is a good thing absolutely what, what about the the aspect of um i mean there's a lot of faffing around <laughs> filming something um, mm. you must have been conscious that you need to keep moving because you're after an attempt, but 
you've still got to get that shot. You're going to have to set up the camera. You do something, oh, damn, it didn't record. I've got to do it again. You know, um, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of mucking around. Uh, so how much did you have to kind of rush things or, or, or end up losing time because you wanted to get a, a particular shot? Mm, I, I think on the whole, I am really glad that I that I made that choice to take the camera to make a film. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure if I hadn't, I could have saved a few hundred grams and I probably could have cut off, you know, maybe a few hours total from the trip. But but for me, it was like it, if I was going to do such a big ambitious trip, I didn't want it to be just for a record attempt or something like it Mm -hmm. had to be a trip that I actually enjoyed and did in the way I wanted to. Um, Yeah, there is a fair bit of time, you know, setting up. uh, I essentially had my hiking pole has a little tripod thread and I'd put Hmm. the camera on that and stab it into the dirt somewhere and walk past it a couple of times. Um, And that, that time does all add up. But I think it was actually really beneficial mentally to have something Mm. else to be thinking of out there because there were times that I did actually find it quite, um, maybe stressful is too strong a word, but it was def- I was definitely putting pressure on myself to be right. reading daily right. mileage and that sort of thing. Mm. So it's a distraction. And to have, yeah, to have like a creative outlet to be just let my mind wander and think about how I can stitch two shots together or tell a bit of a story or something. And also just even actually stopping for 10 minutes every two hours to stab the camera in the ground and take a couple of shots and let the legs have a brief rest, I think was actually quite important. So yeah, it, it did, it did probably cost me a little bit of time overall, but I think it definitely made for a much better experience and, and something I'm really glad I did. Awesome. I mean, were there any unexpected challenges during the attempt? Oh, dude, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> the most unexpected and um, challenging, please. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, firstly, from the runner's perspective, uh, there are some great feet shots in the film, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I know that particularly, not to give too much away, but the blister is particularly tr- triggering for some people, I've found. I'm a nurse. Um, I found it really quite um, alluring's too hard a word, and I don't want to be grubby, <laughs> but I was defo. I was like, oh, I wish he was right here because I would have gone to town on that thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... I'm sure you can get the feeling that when it was day two of 14 and I've got the blister the size of my toe, I've got like a sixth toe, um, and I've got another, you know, almost two weeks of walking to do, I was just thinking it's all over. But, um, yeah, I I did have real issues with my feet. I didn't make a good footwear choice. I had um, a pair of nice cushy hokers that that had plenty of room in the toes, but I was amazed how much my feet swelled up. And that, that, you know, it happens to some extent, maybe like almost half a size difference on a normal hike or something. But my feet were literally like a full size bigger than normal and really, really rubbing hard in the toes and things. So I was really craving my, my good old roomy ultras, which I'd left back home and um, would have loved that foot-shaped toe box out there. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the feet were a constant issue. I got I got a tick bite at one point, which isn't something we deal with back home. But no. Ticks all over Europe um, can carry Lyme disease, yeah, right. which can be really debilitating. The, the risk is fairly low in Scotland. Um, so as long as 
as long as it doesn't swell up and get bad, you're probably okay. But I was kind of like, it was in a really awkward position under my thigh and I was trying to dig this thing out with a pair of little tweezers and just made a complete hash of it. So this was um, maybe two thirds of the way in and I was just kind of like crossing my fingers that, you know, things didn't start swelling up and luckily that was fine. Right. And did the tick just, does it just fall out? I mean, did you, 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 you dug the, it out? The, they really, yeah, yeah. They really bite in there and you've got to sort of tweezer them out by their snout so that you're getting the whole snout out. Um, but it was a really tiny one in an awkward position. So yeah, kind of had to take a few digs at it on the side of the trail. Great. <laughs> I mean, you, you did well to avoid like a like a cellulitis, really. I mean, I can imagine, hygiene, you know, maintaining a sterile environment out on the side of it. The Scottish National Trail was hard. I mean, flipping yeah. it on its head, yeah. I mean, tick bites and, and swollen toes notwithstanding, what was the high point? I... I mean, it's, you can't pick just one from a trip like that, but the, probably every single evening, I, every single sunset I saw was just incredible because I, I was out, you know, it's the name of the film, Dawn Till Dusk. I was walking every single daylight hour for two weeks. Um, so I saw 14 sunrises and 14 sunsets and the probably the first four or five days, the evenings were really tough because I was really breaking the body in and getting getting it into the swing of things. But by the time I'd kind of adapted and was to some extent growing stronger through it, I really started to enjoy those evenings because um, the, a lot of the days actually got really hot, which I wasn't fully prepared for in Scottish um, conditions. But it got to the evening, things would cool down. You just get this brilliant light out across the, the high country and – I just somehow ended up being in a lot of the most beautiful places, bang on sunset. So, yeah, just just those kind of golden hours were what really made it all worth it. And then I could, you know, push on through and know that it wasn't too long until I could set up camp and try to get some sleep. It's, oh, it sounds it's such a magic to that. Hey, like mm. the, you, you described just such a simplicity. Such a you know natural rhythm or or whatever. For those of us yeah. who are not Scottish, can you explain what a bothy is? That's a word that I've yeah, not, yeah, I not. Sure. I was like, whatever. Whenever I watched your film, days old, when I learned what that was. But what's a bothy? Right. Uh, so a bothy is kind of the equivalent of a of a New Zealand dock hut. So uh, you know, essentially. It, tramping hiking hut slash shelter of some sort but they there's a lot of history behind them they were basically old um, sheep farming families cottages scattered around the highlands and a lot of them after the highland clearances when a lot of people got kind of driven off the land these these little stone houses all over the place have been left behind and a lot of them have fallen into disrepair and ruin but there's a, a mountain bothy association which maintains and looks after them so they're, they're very much like a low-key first come first served you don't pay a thing you just kind of rock up and, and get some shelter and they range from you know some of them are, are, are quite nice and reasonably well taken care of and then some might just be a very basic stone shed with if you're lucky a mattress on the floor but you're probably essentially camping inside this cold old stone hut so um 
yeah, they're a pretty pretty special sort of institution for Scotland. That to some extent there was previously, I think, a little bit of secrecy around where some of them were and where the best spots were and things, because sort of the the old boys were trying to protect their their favourite hiking or hunting spots and not wanting them to become overrun by uh, teenagers or whatever. But hmm. yeah, when you when you stumble across one of those or when you're aiming for one after a long day out in the hills, it's a pretty welcome sight, I'll tell you. Hmm. So NIMBY in Scotland stands for not in my bothy, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I mean, the last, the last part of the attempt, I mean, it has such a drama to it and you've got to, I mean, we we all know, some, we all, we've all known that, you know, Scotland has a real traditional mystique of being just an incredibly tough, taciturn place. I mean, Cape Wrath, now that's a name, right? The Cape Wrath Trail. <laughs> and, it, you know, described as the toughest long-distance backpacking trail in Britain. I mean, apart from the name, which is off-putting itself, I mean, what makes this part of the trail so difficult? Yeah, that's funny. I mentioned before it's sort of a trail, like the the national trail as a whole is a trail of two halves, and that second half, or you know, most of that second half, is Cape Wrath Trail, which I personally feel is kind of um, it's quite generous to call it a trail. I would say maybe a route at best. Um, yeah, you really drop off the face of the map once you get north of Fort Augustus or wherever you're starting from. It's it's very very remote so there are very few towns along the way most people are um sending food boxes ahead to post offices along the way because you might be having sort of four or five or more days worth of food carries at a time um and just just logistically you need some extra socks or clothes or whatever it's um it's stunning and beautiful like very mountainous and things but it's just a whole lot of bog not a very clear path at a lot of times so you're sort of just stumbling from one valley to another kind of guessing the route and um yeah very tough overall so like it was interesting when interesting when i shared the film i mentioned that a lot of people and particularly my parents even were kind of like oh you know that was a lot tougher than we thought particularly the cape wrath like that looks like an incredibly challenging trail and it really painted a picture of that and then the other day I caught up with a friend who who I met sort of online because she had actually hiked the Cape Wrath Trail at around the same time. And she was like, bro, you so undersold the difficulty of that trail. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty hard to paint a clear picture of it. Hmm. And what's it marked with? You said the marking sparse. What's it, what is it marked with? Or isn't it, is it oh, not I marked? Mean, it's, 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 yeah, it's not, it's not really marked to the point of having, um, you know, things painted on trees or, or that many signposts or anything it's you, you have to be pretty comfortable navigating yourself out there you're not going to meet too many people along the way i i had backup paper maps at that point but i was mostly using my my you know gps on my phone right. trying not to use it too much to sustain battery and um yeah i mean the last few days i was there just weren't enough towns or pubs to be charging my stuff and i was running super low i think when I got to the lighthouse at the end, my phone was down to about five percent battery. Wow! And and obviously, I like I had the maps. I could have got them out and used them as a backup and just taken a bit more time. But I was just so desperate to get there, but just desperately trying not to check my 
GPS on my phone that often, oh. feeling like I was probably walking around in circles and had no idea what I was doing. But yeah, pretty good feeling when you get to the end. Yeah, I yeah. mean, let's talk about that finish. I mean, you finished at 1.08 a.m. after a 19-hour day. And it's not like, you know, it's not Piccadilly Station, is it? It's it's You're at Cape Wrath, which sounds like the most uninviting place in the world. You're at the lighthouse. It's one in the morning. You, I mean, you alluded in the film that the lighthouse keeper sort of found you like wandering around at two in the morning and put you up for the night. But what, what had you planned? A, what had you planned to do when you finished? And B, what was the reception you got from the lighthouse keeper? Yeah, so so the whole area is super remote, and then the actual cape and the lighthouse itself is just the middle of nowhere. Like you can't even, you can't even drive there. You have to either walk or or catch a ferry. Essentially, it's so isolated. Um, but there is – so there's a lighthouse there, obviously, and there's a, um, a couple of lighthouse keepers, and they run a very ad hoc, low-key sort of cafe out there, the Ozone Cafe, <laughs> because they do get hikers as well as tourists from time to time will catch the ferry across and go out for the day and take some photos and have a have a coffee and a bag of crisps and <laughs> go back on the boat. Um, but they – because there are – a lot of hikers coming and going at all all hours. They just leave the door to that cafe open. So I was able to call them in, in advance and just sort of double check that things would be all right and that rather than getting there at whatever time and pitching my tent, that I'd at least be able to sort of blow up my, my little camping mattress and sleep on the floor or something. Um, so, yeah, I got yeah got to the lighthouse shortly after one, eventually found my way into to the cafe building which is, is super low-key it's just a couple of tables and chairs in a in a cold stone building and i was just sitting myself up on the floor to sleep for the night and then the lighthouse keeper actually popped in i think to check that the the gas or the power was off or something or other and and he was so low-key like completely unsurprised to see a, a, a drowned rat of a hiker just sitting up a mattress on the ground <laughs> And turns out they've got kind of a bunkhouse thing at the back, so he, so he put me up on their bed, which, yeah, after, I guess at that point it had probably been about a week since I'd had anything resembling a real bed. So, um, yeah, I was pretty pretty stoked to have that and honestly just not having to get up at my on my alarm at five the next morning. <laughs> I slept like an absolute baby. Amazing. <laughs> and was, was he... Was he... Did I mean? Did you share with them? You like? I, I think I just set the the fastest known time on the the Scottish National Trail. Did he? Did you get the raise of an eyebrow? Or is there just nothing? I I got the feeling he couldn't have cared less. Um, <laughs> we, we didn't quite get to that point. I was just desperate to get to bed, and then I um I, I woke up the next morning and I couldn't even find he or, him or his wife. I, I don't know where they'd got to. Just disappeared into the lighthouse or something so I'd, I'd, I'd woken up like hoping for some form of breakfast because um because once again i was running out of food yeah so i woke up just kind of yeah an absolute possum in the headlights wondering what was going on had a few more digestive biscuits and then just put my shoes back on and walked walked back down south <laughs> it's, it's it's such a it's if you could do the archetypical Kiwi finish to an FKT. Well, Kiwi and Scottish. Yes, Kiwi and Scottish. Yeah. I mean, like the dudes, I was called Cape Wrath, not Cape Happiness. So you're not getting breakfast. I don't care <laughs> yeah, I about care. your problems. Yeah. Yeah. But you can sleep over there. And then you're like, okay, thank you for that. You sure? You know? Like, yeah, I don't care. Okay, thank you. And then you had to walk back to Kinloch Burvey the next day. 
I mean, that's it. What you had to walk five hours back to the next village, was it? Yeah, that was tough because that that section is particularly horrible, and you know my feet were falling apart by then, and it had been such a long ordeal to get there. And Um, you finished, right? (laughs) So your brain's going, "You're done. You're done." Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I just I couldn't. I knew because I had the walk the next day after finishing that I couldn't fully relax or celebrate until I'd actually been done. And it's funny, like part of, part of the story that I couldn't really capture in the film um, was that that whole Cape Wrath, the tip of it is a, a military training range. And from time to time, they do um, essentially practice firing and stuff around there. So Murphy's Law, like I realised in the last few days leading up to me finishing, once it was pretty clear on what date that would be, that they were actually doing firing on the range all of that week. <laughs> So, so like after all these challenges, you know, tick bites and blisters and stuff, I'm going to go and get blown to smithereens <laughs> on the cluster bomb, firing yeah. range. Uh, but it turned out there was kind of uh, they'd essentially finished their firing early for the week on the Friday, and it was going to be okay on the weekend. <laughs> so part of the reason that I kind of hustled and got there slightly early ahead of schedule was actually just to get in and out of the firing range while I could, and then realising how tricky the trip back to Edinburgh was going to be and going to take a bit more time than my fairly lightweight planning had, had revealed. Because that, uh, that would have added a few Ks on having to weave across, <laughs> the, across the range. <laughs> <laughs> Diving onto your stomach every 200 metres. Oh. So how did you, I mean, getting back home is a, is a mission in itself. Yeah, it was quite a trip. Um, yeah. So about half a day's walking back to Kinloch Burvey, and then I had a a little Airbnb caravan thing to myself for a night there, which was that that was the point that I could finally take my shoes off. You know, got a beer and some some takeaways from the local store, and just yeah, sat down and really breathed out and and realised what I what I'd done. Mm. I mean, um, yeah. And it was, it was a, like, yeah, there were definitely a few days there where I was quite kind of shell-shocked, um, just just amazed that it had kind of worked out, but just so deeply beaten up. There was, I mean, so, so, so like one of my memories, for example, is during the trip, I w- wasn't really listening to music or anything because I was trying to conserve battery on my phone and I, and I don't really get bored out in the countryside anyway. So... I just sing to myself all the time. It's a good way to pass the time. And along the way, I was diving deep into the back, the Beatles back catalogue and singing some of their tunes. And for some reason, one of the songs that kept coming up, I'm not sure if you know it, um, A Day in the Life. Yeah, the Beatles. absolutely. One of, like, one of the most beautiful musical compositions of all time, but super eclectic and just all over the show. A bit terrifying and too for some reason, Yeah, absolutely. So I, just, I was singing that to myself the whole trip. And then, um, and then anyway, I finished. I got back to Kinloch Burby the following day. I had a, a, a shuttle ride and then a train to get back to Edinburgh. And I was sitting on this shuttle bus with half a dozen other sort of wet hikers. And for the first time in two weeks, I put my headphones in because I'd been able to charge my phone. And I'd, I dialed up a day in the life and had a listen. And... It's hard to explain, but I guess just the, the overall like mental, physical, emotional overload. I just wept listening to that song because it was just like 
it was like hearing in high definition for the first time or something. Mm. I'm all, like, oh, I'm almost choking up just talking about it. It was, <laughs> it was just such a, such an overwhelming experience. And it was lucky to some extent that we we're all wearing COVID masks on the shuttle because I was just kind of quietly bawling my eyes out under under my mask just at the like the weight of everything rushing back in the song somehow. Mm. Wow. The, I mean that. The, I mean that's the wonderful thing about. Music, Music. is, is, is mm. the wonderful thing about our sort of, and, and you'd you'd programmed yourself, hadn't you, through the two weeks mm. singing that hook, uh, and, you know, it's got several hooks in it, but, and then you, yeah, you put it back on and and you, or you put it on and and realised that mm. a the Beatles were geniuses and and b you know and you wrecked too right like you mm. <laughs> you, you yeah. are to use the term you are butter scraped over too much bread. Um, oh. Absolutely, and and I think I think like for me, I'm not. I'm definitely an introvert. Um, like I I enjoy socialising and things, but I sort of need my own time, and I really enjoy solo trips, and I I don't get particularly bored or lonely out there in the Highlands and things. But I noticed, especially when I was spread that thin, that when I would bump into somebody, or you know, just be able to join up with another hiker for an hour or a couple of times when friends and at even one point a total stranger had been following my GPS tracker and popped out and surprised me on the trail. It just gave me such a boost having been so depleted of human interaction to right. have to have that kind of top up. Mm. Wow. Look, the other thing that you did was you raised five thousand pounds for water aid. Can you mm. for those of you who for those of us who don't know what it is, what what is water aid? Yeah, WaterAid is, is an international charity focusing on water. So um, they're basically looking at water, you know, fresh drinking water and sanitation and hygiene and, and bringing that to the communities around the world who need that most. So I work at Scottish Water here in, here in Edinburgh, the, the water utility for the whole country. So imagine water care but mm. for all of Scotland. And they, along with other um, water industry members in the UK, partner very closely with WaterAid as their kind of chosen charity. And um, and in particular, Scottish Water's contributions are going towards projects in Malawi and Rwanda. So it was actually fairly late in my planning for the trip that I, I mean, to some extent was just kind of looking at what was happening around the world at the time and, and things were easing up in the UK and it felt like such an immense privilege to be able to get out into the countryside and just kind of disappear and selfishly do my thing. And I thought, well, that's, you know, that's pretty crazy right now, but the least I could do is maybe try to, to do some good through this trip. So, uh, so I put a fundraiser out there. I thought it'd be amazing if I could raise Eight hundred and sixty-four pounds, so one hmm. pound for every kilometre I would walk, and there was just such a response from people at work and just friends and family and total strangers online that I think we got to that target within a day or two. Oh, and wow. by the time I'd started, it was at a couple of thousand pounds, and has just kind of kept trickling in since, and is now, yeah, at, at a total of up over five thousand pounds, which I never, never expected at all, and. Obviously, I'm I'm proud of the the FKT, but to some extent, 
you know, raising £5,000 for, for people who really need that in a time that is very hard for charities to be raising funds. I'm equally proud of that for sure. Mm. That's lovely. Mm. It's nice that you, you've, I mean, it's, it sounds, it appears talking to you, seeing the film, that you've given it the respect that it deserves, but also that you've highlighted it so many different parts during a conversation how it meant so much more or what was important was so much more than just kind of putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, Matt, (laughs) you've been so generous with us. I mean, it's very early in the morning where you are and you've got work and stuff and we've we've actually kept you far too long. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to kind of land this plane with the, with the, the question that we ask everyone who comes on Dirt Church Radio and that's Matt Girvin. What's been your greatest run ever? Oh, here we go. And, did did and you I think it? Admit, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I do listen, and I, and, I, and I was was giving this a bit of a bit of thought the other day. Um, yeah, you'd probably almost expect a greatest walk ever from me, right? But, <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking about this the other day, and actually, a run that keeps coming back to me is from my my teenage years long before I ever really thought of myself as a runner or, or ran regularly. I was maybe 17 or 18, and at the time I might run around the block once a month if I was if I was lucky, um, probably three or four Ks at most. And it was never anything I enjoyed. It was just one of those things that you know is vaguely a good thing to do and you should do from time to time. So put my shoes on, run around the block. And it was always the exact same block. It always ends with this turn off. And then up a big hill to home. And I just distinctly remember, I don't know what was different about this afternoon, but I got to that turn off. And for one of the first times ever, I just thought, oh, I'll just go the other way. Like, I'm feeling quite good. I'll just, I'll just stretch out a longer block. And once I'd made that mental decision, somehow it was just like this energy ran through my body. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I could run forever. I, I could just run forever at this pace. This is amazing. And at that time, I mean, I couldn't run forever. I, I, I finished that longer loop and I got home and it was probably it's probably five or six Ks. But at the time for me, that was huge. And looking back now, I've sort of realized that that feeling of I could run forever or I can't do this, I can't, you know, walk the length of Scotland or whatever, I can't do that. But then actually, hang on, if I just take that other path, if I, if I try what's to lose what's you know what could go wrong so i feel like that that same feeling that i somehow caught a little glimpse of 10 or more years ago is is what i just keep chasing these days wow that's incredible yeah if you just turn the other way who knows where it's going to take you yeah brilliant absolutely matt Thank you so much for coming on Dirt Church Radio. I mean, it's been a minute trying to set this up and, and, and connect with you and stuff, but we're so thankful that you came on. And, um, yeah, all the best, man. I hope that you're, you know, I know that you're, you're training for the Summer Spine Race and I hope that goes well. And, you know, please keep in touch. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been really great, boys, to have a chat and, and to, to capture some of these stories. Um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Some iron bro in a Mars bar. That was terrible. 
was not. It was terrible. Let's talk about local, local cuisine. You haven't mentioned Hagar. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. See, I wasn't going for the cliche. Anyway, uh, thanks, Matt. That was um, well. Thanks to you too, Matt thanks. Raymond. But thanks, Eugene. Yeah. Um, I, we we both thoroughly enjoyed that conversation, and we hope that you all, our listeners, did as well. Um, can't wait to see what you do next, Matt. Yeah, that's and you, Matt. Thanks again, yep. Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if in you mentioning me, it's like I walked the Scottish National Trail. Do you want to have a seat? I'm, yeah, maybe I will. Do you want a bunk? I'll bunk in you. Do you want me to be impressed or something? Yeah, I'll bunk in your wet room. Anyway, that was amazing. Matt's a legend. I'm a legend too. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's just great to see people doing things in an under... I love the understated manner with which he conducted himself the way he comported himself and the, and the movie itself is, is quite fantastic mm. so the link's up on our show notes and we'll, we'll, we'll share it across every which way we can but look you can find us on all the podcast platforms please like and subscribe if you fancy and you can download direct from the website which is dirtchurchradio.com don't forget to write them with your greatest friend ever we love to hear from you and you can read them on the website too so you can send them to us dirtchurchradio at gmail.com and thanks to our sponsors Scott Running Further Faster and Ciali and thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things thank you to our editor Kieran we've got a great show lined up for next week so tune in then ka kite ka kite ano. Thanks, Rigby.